You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Bust, Bust and Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. This is Boston Loose Baseball, episode 73. Grant Paulson, Toby Altizer. Uh, let's start at the major league level, Toby, where the Nats have won 11 of 16. We're taping on Monday night. They got rained out, did not play the Phillies today, so they'll have a doubleheader tomorrow. But a sweep of the Cincinnati Reds, who have dropped six in a row at the time of taping, and the Nats now are on pace for 70 wins. If they could pull off a 70-win season, in the middle of this rebuild where we were all bracing for the debacle of 100-plus losses this year, that would feel like a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, if this team can go for 70 wins, it doesn't make what I was saying last podcast sound all that crazy where maybe they're calling some of these guys up next season. You know, maybe they sign a guy or two in the offseason, and you could see this team approaching a 500 record or at least 75 to, you know, 78 wins or somewhere around there where you're getting closer to that 500 mark. So. I mean, this team has definitely improved, and I think this is the thing. You know, we can talk about the improvement for the guys as they've gone throughout the season. You know, I've talked about this a little bit when I've had the opportunity to host on 106.7, talking about, you know, has this season been successful? And you talk about the development of the young guys. Obviously, that is the main focus. But if you just look at the team as a whole, the fact that they're competitive every single night and the fact that they battle every single night, I think is a huge step in the right direction from what you saw last season where they weren't always competitive. You couldn't always feel good about watching them at night. It felt like a chore at times. Now, even if they're down late into a ball game and they haven't gotten anything going, you saw this in Cincinnati, they couldn't get anything going until the sixth inning. And all of a sudden they put it on and they win that game. So, you know, that's kind of what, I think you can take out of, you know, specifically this stretch, but really this season as a whole is these guys really battle. And that's a credit to Davey and this ball club for putting together a much better season this year than last. Yeah, it's well said. Uh, Let's just dive into the last few games here specifically. We don't need to break them down one by one, but I do want to call out Yohan Adon getting back to the major league level and throwing a really good game. Adon had six innings of three hit, three Ernie ball with seven strikeouts. He was actually perfect in the first handful of innings of this game and he throws a quality start gives the ball to Machado and Weems a reoccurring theme here as you saw Finnegan hammer down the final inning of each of the last couple games Machado Weems and Finnegan I believe pitched in all three games in the Red Series and Davey was kind of going back to the well with what is now is a bullpen of Machado who's back in the show and throwing harder and looks a lot better 
Weems, who's mostly been outstanding since getting called up from Rochester, and Finnegan, who's having one of the great stretches of his career right now. And we'll talk about all three of those guys in a minute. But I just wanted to point out that Adon had a really good outing, and then Jake Irvin, even though he didn't get out of fifth, kind of ran out of gas, had another super competitive start. This is a guy that I think a lot of people would have said was ticketed for the bullpen a year or two ago. You know, was not a highly regarded pitching prospect in the system. He was certainly in the top 20 in MLB pipeline. Guy that I've been tracking in the minors the last couple of years, but despite his big size, the fact that he throws hard, you know, he, he is behind all of the, the names like Cavalli and Henry and Rutledge in this system. Certainly Bennett after he got drafted last year, but as a first responder at 26, who is ready at the upper levels, He's gotten an elongated crack at the rotation, and he continues to look like a guy that, you know, if he could be a little more efficient, work a little deeper into games, more often than not, you saw this in his four and a third, five hits, three earned runs against the Reds this week in a tough ballpark to pitch in where he struck out six. He has been competitive and, and given them legitimate chances to go out and to win. And on Sunday in his outing, again, it was Machado, Weems, and Finnegan, as I mentioned, but Robert Garcia, who they just claimed and sent to the big leagues as well, through two uh, good innings, hitless innings, one walk, two strikeouts. So the bullpen's really been a reoccurring theme of, of, I would say, fortune here for them as they've won not only the three in a row, but 11 of 16. You and I were kind of preparing for just an epic meltdown in the bullpen for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. And for a couple of days, we certainly got it for about a week or two. But it, it seems like, at least in the way of an A bullpen, Davey has figured something out. The problem is, and thank God for the rain delay, the turn into postponement, I guess, today. But you're just not going to be able to continue to crack the whip on Finnegan. And you, you, you can't have these guys pitching, you know, four out of every seven games. It's just they're not going to be able to hold up. Yeah, I mean, the bullpen has been much better. And this team really just as a whole is playing much better. You're getting good starts out of Joanna Doan, which, I mean, you didn't expect that, especially a guy going perfect through five innings and then, you know, struggling a little bit in the sixth there. But a credit to the offense for giving him some early runs and letting him work and just kind of pound the strike zone and live in there. And then, like you said, with Jake Irvin, anytime you can get a guy that's like that where, okay, he's going to be a spot starter. All right. He's probably going to go to the bullpen. And then all of a sudden this guy looks like, okay, well, maybe he could stick in the rotation. Even if he ends up back in the bullpen, you can still trust him to be a spot starter here and there because you've seen it now enough times at the major league level that you think, all right, this guy can give you a quality outing when you need him to so you know those are the kind of things that during a rebuild are really nice to see some of the the guys may be surprising you just a little bit with their production at the big league level so it's just nice to see all around that this team is contributing and helping each other win you know it's early in the season we were talking about this where you know the three facets facets of the game they couldn't get all three in the same game you know as the bullpen struggled or the starting pitching struggled or the hitting wouldn't show up Right now, all of them seem to be clicking, and it's a nice thing to watch. Yeah, in their Sunday win, by the way, C.J. Abrams had four hits for the Nats in the leadoff spot. That was the first time in Nats history, as, as you've mentioned, and I saw you tweet about, that they went back-to-back -back on the first two pitches of a game, and Abrams and Thomas hitting home runs consecutively on pitches one and two. They combined to go six for nine in the game. Uh, Thomas was two for four, drove in three. Abrams was four for five, scored twice and drove in a run. But I bring up C.J. Abrams, as we basically do on every podcast at this point. So you look back at this stretch now, going back to July 1st. So think about wherever you were on July 4th, celebrating the Independence Day holiday a little over a month ago. 
a few days before that is the start of this sample. So it's 30 games, rough draft here of, of a fifth of a season. It's actually not quite 20% of the year, probably 17 or so percent of the season, but let's just say a fifth of the year hitting 322 since then with a 376 on base and a 504 slug. So that is creeping up on a 900 OPS in about a fifth of a year while striking out only 14% of the time and walking about 7% of the time. Walks are up in that stretch substantially. Strikeouts are down. He's also got four homers, which would be a pace for over 20 home runs, probably like 21, 22 homers in a season, and 18 for 18 in steals during that time. He's obviously tied the Nats record with 24 consecutive stolen base attempts overall. But just over this fifth of a season, you know, 18 steals, that's a 90-plus a steal pace over 162. Uh, is he able to play at this level for 162? Hair on fire? Probably not. But now all of a sudden you look after a substantial amount of games here, a major chunk of a season where he's playing at a you know fringe MVP kind of level in the middle infield, if, you know maybe a, minus a little bit of power. And the 22-year-old shortstop, who was the eighth youngest player in the majors on opening day, all of a sudden has become one of the better shortstops in the National League. I, I posted a, a tweet uh, today, as a matter of fact, where I just put his NL ranking among you know various categories. Right now among NL shortstops, fifth in batting average, sixth in OPS, sixth in home runs, fifth in runs batted in, third in runs scored, fifth in hits total, first in stolen bases, sixth in on-base percentage, fourth in slug. Not too shabby, Toby, for not only a guy who's just a, a child still who barely got to play in the minors and is learning on the fly, but also not too bad for a guy who a lot of people were starting to write off about eight weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's really cool because now you're starting to see him kind of turn into the prospect that you expected him to be. Like, just taking a look back at the 2022 prospect rankings, he was the Padres' top prospect at the time in his scouting grades. A hit grade of a 60. I think you're seeing that now. Power of a 50. Again, I think you're seeing that. Run 80, arm 55, field 55. I think that sounds about right. I mean, that's kind of what you're seeing from C.J. Abrams now, and that's not what you were seeing earlier in the season, and it's Something we've talked about plenty on the pod. You've mentioned it a ton of times. This guy's so young. And so he's learning at the big league level. And sometimes, Grant, you know this from watching sports. It doesn't necessarily need to be baseball, but sometimes it just clicks. You know, you can't necessarily explain it. You can't necessarily point to one specific thing. But one day it's different than the next, and it just everything slows down for you. And it seems like that started to happen for CJ, like especially on the base paths. I mean, this is a guy that – we were pleading with, please, can you start running some? And now he's just running every time and no one can catch him. And yeah. so it, he doesn't it's wait, spectacular. And it's spectacular. This is like, it, he's a different guy right now. Like, totally. I, I don't mean the production. I mean, you're right. You just said it. His aggressiveness, his mindset, um, his, his confidence. And you've seen it carry over to the field, mm -hmm. too. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I'd have to look. I can't think of any obvious bad errors he's made in a while, but I guarantee if you look at his defensive numbers since July, this is the best stretch on defense he's had too. Like it, he is a different guy right now. It, I hesitate to say that he's completely turned a corner because baseball is not linear like that. And, and good players have bad stretches that are in their thirties too. But like, I do think he's figured something out or the game has slowed down. It, it just looks like he feels comfortable now. 
Yeah, it's just one of those things, and that's what's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the season. Does he have a week where he struggles, and can he bounce back? Those sort of things. We'll see, but right now, the way he's going, I love the way that he's just going out there and making the most he can while he's on this hot stretch. Like you said, he gets on base. He's not waiting. He's just going, and he's like, you're not going to be able to catch me. I'm taking off, and you know, you see an aggressiveness where he's a young guy, but a guy's making his major league debut. He says, I bet you he throws me one here. Let me just turn on this first pitch and sends it way up the bleachers in right field. Like those are the sort of things that you see veterans do when they try to take advantage of young guys. This is a young guy that's realizing, all right, I'm starting to figure it out. Let me start taking advantage of these things. And I mean, I just think the sky is the limit with him as a shortstop. You're seeing what this guy was supposed to be and he's doing it at the major league level. Now it's just about, can you continue to do this? And when guys start to adjust to what you're doing, can you make that adjustment with them? But I think he's found something like you said, and I think that we're starting to see an emergence of CJ Abrams. How about the renaissance of Lane Thomas in Cincinnati after he had pretty t- tough July, right? His OPS in May was 930 and in June was 1014. And then over 26 games in July, it dipped to 632. Uh, For those of you guys that track the podcast pretty closely, you know that I've got a bet with one of our buddies, Ryan. And I believe it's 790 is the line of demarcation. This was pretty early in the year, maybe a month or two into the season. We made a bet. It was probably the second month of the year. And uh, I'm giving him 790 and above, and he wins. 789 or below, and I win. And Lane Thomas's OPS as the boys went to Cincinnati for the first time all year was right around 790. Like it was mm. right at that line. And, and Ryan actually sent me a text and he's like, Oh no. He's like Lane Thomas, look at his OPS. And I, I hope I lose the bet. I want the guy to go on a tear. And sure enough, as soon as he was right at that line of demarcation where I was about to start feeling like maybe I'll win the bet. Uh, he went seven for 13 with three home runs at great American ballpark. By the way, this guy, destroys the Reds. If you look not only this season, but I want to say over the last couple of years, obviously his background in the St. Louis organization, NL Central, I don't know if it's a comfort thing or what, but he just owns this team. And so he went seven for 13 with three bolts in this series, which is pretty crazy for Lane Thomas. Uh, He's back after what was a, a pretty rough July. And it looks like, you know, beefing those numbers back up to a point where, If you thought he was falling off and maybe the best part of his season was over, he's got something else to say about it. Yeah, I mean, if I were Lane Thomas, if I hit free agency, I think I'm calling the Reds and saying, what do you want to give me? Because I want to come to Great American Ballpark and play my home games there because he just tears it up. I mean, last season he had a three-homer game at Great American Ballpark and then has a two-homer game here. He has another home run in the series as well, so... He apparently loves hitting at Great American Ballpark, kills the Reds, and it's it's great to see because, you know, you saw him kind of slow down just a little bit. You saw him at times at Nats Park over the last couple of weeks. He'd have some, you know, big at-bats, and he wouldn't be able to come through like he had earlier in the season. But hopefully going to Great American Ballpark can be something that gets him off the schneid a little bit. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the Nationals, after the sweep of the Reds, now have the longest winning streak in baseball, uh, in the National League, I guess I should say. The Rangers have won six in a row, and the Twins have won five in a row over in the American League. But if you look at the NL, the Nats with four straight wins, a 6-4 and four record, the hottest team now in the National League this week. Uh, they're the hottest team in the NL East with that 6-4 and four record over the last week and a half as well. You look at the standings, I mean, they have now basically caught up with the Cardinals. I mean, think about that. St. Louis has had such a bad year. But if you look at the expectations coming in for the Nats, a better record right now than the Rockies and the Cardinals. They're just a game behind in the win column, the Pirates, and a game behind in the win column, the Mets. Can you imagine, after all the joning and the talking Mets fans were doing about what a great year they were going to have, if the Mets, who prior to uh, getting their bats going against the Cubs as we're taping this game on Monday night, had dropped six in a row and seven of ten, what if the Nationals finish with a better record than New York after the Mets sold off? I know that you know that and a couple bucks will get you a coffee, Toby. But damn, that would feel good for the Nats fans listening to this podcast. Well, and one byproduct of these new rules with the CBA and draft order, the Nationals can win as much as they want because they cannot draft any higher than 10, even if they have the worst record in baseball. So good point. go on and do it, man. Finish better than the Mets. Give us something that we can be thrilled about rubbing their face because – I mean, you spent all this money. We were talking about it. $344 million, Grant. And the Nationals payroll is around $90 million. And there's a game, two-game difference right now on the standings. And, I mean, the way both teams are playing, the Nationals might surpass them in the next week. It's just crazy to think that the Nationals are doing all of this. And, essentially, they're paying no one because Patrick Corbin's getting a big paycheck and Steven Strasburg is still getting a big paycheck. And those are the only two guys making right. $10 million or more. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, they are. They could catch the Pirates. They're a game and a half back. And then they are. Um, let's see. Yeah, and one and a half back from the Mets as well. They have the same record as the Pirates. So but by the what you just said, just as, a, as an aside, I think this is important. I am always all for draft position. And all I care about is drafting as high as possible. So... I would be imploring them to have sold and to bottom out and to tank if they could get the number one pick again. You know what happens when you pick first, second, third? You get a guy like Dylan Cruz or Paul Skeens. So I don't want to hear about trying to win games in September. But because of this new stupid rule and this new stupid system that penalizes teams rebuilding the way that they want to, they, if they catch the Pirates and the Mets, would be one, two, three, let's see. Rockies, Cardinals, Pirates, Mets could be behind them. So that is uh, one, two, four teams. Then over in the American League, the A's, who are horrendous, by the way, the Royals, who are pretty hot, and the White Sox and Tigers are all in reach. So, yeah, they could potentially be essentially like the ninth worst record anyway. And then it would feel okay if they're picking 10th overall because they're basically, you know, 10 teams from the bottom in baseball. Had they have lost 111 games or something and picked 10th, it would have felt criminal and I would have been livid. But to your point, I'm rooting for wins every time out. I want to catch the teams in front of you. I want some of these young guys, Abrams, Gore, Gray, Ruiz, the guys that matter moving forward, to experience winning. Like, they are learning how to win in front of our eyes. They're finishing games. They're stringing series together. 
it's not easy to go sweep a team when you've won a couple in a row in their ballpark and, and they're coming at you for a third game now to try to avoid a sweep. This is all stuff that could benefit them, I think, in the future, Toby. And you're right. It is kind of a relief. I, I'm glad you brought that up, that we don't have to worry about it affecting their draft position because they were already going to be screwed into picking outside of the top 10 anyway. Yeah, and I like the fact that you have a team that means something to this team so close. You know, if they were fighting with just the Cardinals or just the Pirates, that's cool to beat those teams, but whatever, right? I mean, you face them in the National League, but they're not in your division. I mean, Davey Martinez can walk into the clubhouse every day and say, hey, guys, look at the Mets. Let's catch them. And it means something. It's a division opponent. It's a team that spent a lot of money this offseason and is struggling. It gives you something to fight for. And, you know, Davey does a good job of motivating this team, but I think you get that little extra motivation when you can rub it in the Mets' face for the next couple of years if you can finish with a better record than them. Yeah, over the last couple of weeks, just as they've gone 11-5 and five here so that everybody knows who's hot and who's not, uh, Maness is hitting almost 300 with an 888 OPS, three homers, 10 RBI. He obviously had a big multi-run homer to tie the game late on the road. Uh, Lane Thomas, three homers and a team-high 11 RBI during that stretch. The OPS, the average, are not high, but that's just because he was not hitting for the first half or so of the last 13 games they've played over two weeks. Uh, he's really gotten it going. Abrams hitting over 280. And uh, Riley Adams, who has not played a ton, but has played in four games, six for 15 and 11.38 OPS. Uh, good to see that he has stayed hot. You know who's provided a spark, too? Four straight games with a run batted in for Jake Alou. It's been kind of cool to see that. He's driven in five now in these four games, uh, 14 at-bats for him, 829 OPS. Alou is, I've talked about him a lot as a guy that is not a particularly high-end prospect. I don't expect him to be a starter in the future. Uh, you know, I, I use this term as a big, fat, gross person, not literally, but in a baseball sense, like a bad bodied kind of smaller, a little bit of a, you know, a, a uh, like he's not muscular or anything like that. But at 26 years old, as a, you know, semi positionless infielder, he can play third, he can play second. I think there's a possible future here where he ends up a utility option for them. The cool thing about him, you know, Nats folks really like him. The, the front office people I talk to call him a baseball rat, and they think he's just going to always be a guy that you get, you know, max out of whatever you think he is. Add a little bit to that. That's what he's going to be, kind of that Darren Baker profile from their system. Uh, this year in the minors in two levels, double and triple A, hit 293. Last year hit 299. He's a career 290 hitter with about an 800 OPS. And we said it'll be interesting to see him get called up and, and see what he does after his first 14 at-bats before getting sent down. And so far, so good. I mean, he he hits at every single level, and now he's trying to add the major leagues to that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he has added a little spark plug. In every single game, you know, we talk about all the big things like CJ and Lane Thomas going deep, and then Jake Alou adds in another run. It's just kind of those quiet things that he's done. One thing I will say, they ended up postponing the game on Monday when we're recording this, but he wasn't in the lineup that was initially released. Davey, please don't do that. Leave him in the lineup every single day unless he needs a day off. I don't care if he's playing second. I don't play it, it care if he's playing third. I mean, with Luis Garcia being in the minors right now, I don't need to see Michael Chavis. I don't need to see Ildemaro Vargas. I want to see Jake Alou as much as possible. So, you know, I'd like to see him continue to get at-bats and see what you got. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and scream online loudly. I just don't think anything really matters with this team that much other than a handful <laughs> of guys. To be honest, it's not that I'm not invested or passionate. I'm watching every pitch. I'm all in. I'm living and dying with the results. But in other words, there's like a handful of guys that really matter a lot, I think, moving forward. So unless it involves them, and that's Abrams and Gore and Gray and Ruiz, and you guys know the list, I'm not going to get overly angry. But to your point, Come on, Davey, F figure this out. Uh, get get on board here, okay? I mean, it's it's August 7th. Ildemaro Vargas is Ildemaro Vargas, and Michael Chavis is Michael Chavis. Now, if the guy's played 15 days in a row and his groin's barking, I get it, okay? No problem. But in, unless he came to you and said he's banged up, he's been in the big leagues for three hours. It's okay if, if he you string some at-bats together here and you continue to get him some work. Uh, we could talk about Luis Garcia in just a second. Uh, speaking of guys who got called up, though, about when Alou did, uh, Blake Rutherford's first seven at-bats, it hasn't gone that well. 0 for 7 with four strikeouts. It's very early. I'm not making any uh, major decisions or, or, you know, deciding anything big picture on him. But, uh, you know, if, if you were looking for that storybook first few games where he gets bumped up and, and has a big hit and, you know, his family's there after – Many, many years, I think dating back to like maybe six, seven seasons in the minors now as a 26-year-old drafted in the first round. And in his first game, he has the big moment. It didn't happen. Uh, now we're, we're still waiting for him to kind of flash. Yeah, I mean, he, he's hit all year long. So I think you just got to get him the at-bats. It's seven in, so we'll see. But like I mentioned on the last podcast, I like the fact that they're going to try to put him in good spots where he's facing almost exclusively right-handed pitchers being a left-handed batter where, where he's going to platoon with Stone Garrett. So I like that they're going to try to put him in the best spots possible, and I'm sure at some point he's going to get that first career major league hit, and I think he'll get it going like he has on the minors all year long. All right, anything else <coughs> Excuse me. we need to hit at the major league level? Maybe just a quick acknowledgement, as I mentioned, of, about the bullpen, uh, you know, how good they've been. I mean, Kyle Finnegan – uh, has been dynamite eight games over this stretch here in the last two weeks without giving up a run seven punchies in seven innings with a 130 average against more surprising maybe is Machado who's got nine K's and six and two thirds Weems called up from the minors eight games pitched in the last two weeks he's got eight shutout with 10 strikeouts and a 200 average against so those three guys have all shoved Ferrer has been fine uh, he's been hit a little bit but the ERA is in the fours um, pretty much that that's the list. Joe LaSorsa doesn't throw very often, but it's been good when they used him. Uh, but I, I just think that Finnegan is, is really putting together a stretch here uh, that is a long time coming. They've really supported him and thought highly of him for a long time. And this is the best he's ever been as he's approaching 50 games now. He's striking out about a batter per inning. His average against last year was 220. This year it's 230. His whip was 1.14. He's repeating that. And he's got the lowest DRA of his career at this point. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Finnegan, I've talked about this before with the bullpen, where I kind of think that none of these guys can necessarily help you going forward. Talking about this, you know, at the trade deadline, I was saying, I don't know that I see these guys being set up guys or closers on a competitive ball club. I don't know, man, what I've seen of Kyle Finnegan the last couple of months. So looking at his uh, ERA from month to month, April and March, a 720. May, a three. June, 0. 0.79. July, 1.54. And August hasn't given up a run. 
these last three months, this guy looks like a guy that could really help you out on a winning ball club. So, I mean, just continue to hope that he can show some consistency and, you know, maybe you get Hunter Harvey back and he can kind of build off that as well. So we'll see. But Kyle Finnegan is really looking like a guy that maybe, you know, long term, he can be something for this ball club out of the bullpen. You know what I do want to talk about? Maybe next pod, we should put a pin in this and remember to come back to it. But I want to talk about Rizzo and Davey in the future because this rebuild's gone so well for Mike Rizzo. I have a hard time believing he wouldn't be around if he wants to be. Now, he might Mm -hmm. want to get on the first plane out of here because they don't spend money and he's kind of over it. And maybe he's got another better option. I know a few years ago, I believe he had a chance to go to the L.A. Angels and at that time was still very interested in being in Washington with the Nationals. But that was, you know, a near sale and uh, several off seasons of your team not spending at all ago. So I'm not sure how he feels at this point, but. Uh, I, I'm more interested maybe in, in the Davy part of it where I don't know that you can do better than Mike Rizzo on the open market, bringing in a GM in the middle of a sale with an, an owner that doesn't sell. I think Rizzo's really good. Big picture. I, I'm not sure if they want to go in a different direction than Davy, and maybe those two guys are just linked where Rizzo would ride with Davy. But I, in other words, I, I view Rizzo as really, really good at what he does. I think Davy is pretty average at what he does. That said, Davy has done a hell of a job this year. I mean, this team, as you said, plays really hard for him. Shades of kind of that 2019 group that really bought into everything that he preached. They don't win the World Series without him in 19. So I'm not knocking Davey. I think Davey, uh, he hung a banner. I mean, he was outstanding in that World Series run. That flag will fly forever. He deserves immense amount of credit. I just think, you know, from a big picture standpoint, if you're asking me who's better at their job, Rizzo as a GM or Davey as a manager, I would say Rizzo. Um, but I don't know if they're linked together or, I mean, you have a quick thought on that. It is something, again, I want to get into in more detail in the future. Yeah. With Rizzo, I don't think there's any way you could, if you're trying to run a ball club effectively that you could move on from Mike Rizzo. I think that he's shown you so much in his ability to trade. Now, maybe some of his his drafts have left a little bit to, to be desired. So maybe there, but I think that Rizzo is a fantastic general manager in terms of Davey Martinez He's such a great guy, and I think he does such a good job with the clubhouse. It's kind of hard to move on when all the guys are going to be so attached to him. But, I mean, Grant, the hard part is how many times do we come on here or we're talking off air or texting? Why is Davey doing this? And it's not even necessarily this year. It's just in his time as manager, there are so many times where his in-game managerial decisions are so questionable. It's so hard. But at the same point, like – Davey's such a likable guy and the guys all love playing for him. And he's done such a fantastic job with motivating the guys and helping develop them this year. You know, it's a, it's a catch 22. Yeah. I mean, if you take a few months and 19 away, the results have just not been good. I mean, they they just are what they are Uh, from, you know, 50 games into the end of the 19 season, take that out of the equation. It's, it's, pretty awful now that's not fair either i'll readily admit because that's mm-hmm. his best part of his his career and you can't just say well take the the two best games this quarterback's ever had away and he he doesn't have as good a career well no kidding so uh, it's a larger conversation as i said i just wanted to kind of bring it up and say it's something i want to address on the pod here in the future and, and maybe you guys uh can get with us on twitter i'm at grant h paulson toby give out your twitter handle at Toby underscore Altizer, T-O-B-I underscore A-L-T-I-Z-E-R. 
and we can try to uh, kind of create and start that conversation there, and we'll carry it over uh, this week into the next pod.